Welcome to Be Customer-Led, where we'll explore how leading experts in customer and employee experience are navigating organizations through their own journey to be customer-led and the actions and behaviors employees and businesses exhibit to get there. And now, your host, Bill Stagos. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Be Customer-Led. I'm your host, Bill Stakos. You know, you, you love all your children the same, but sometimes like your kids do something that is like really special. So I'm really excited for today's episode because Amanda Ono is the chief HR officer for a company called Kroll. And we're going to talk about Kroll. And she was also, which is really cool, uh, VP customer experience and people and culture for a company called Resolver. Now, Resolver is now a Kroll company. And we're going to get into that a little bit. But I'm really excited to talk about you know, Amanda's sort of professional background, the switch and the career change from the CX side, including people and culture and bringing it all together, but then the switch to CHRO. Amanda, thanks so much for coming on the show. And I can't wait to get into this discussion. I'm really excited to be here too. Awesome. Awesome. So, all right, we're going to be talking about from customer experience to workforce experience. I ask every guest, though, to just share your professional journey. You know, what were some of the, maybe the differentiating factors for you in going through your career? And, you know, you can go back as far back as you'd like, actually, but you know, I'll leave that to you. So, wide open question, but, you know, you've got a really cool background. Awesome. Thank you. Well, you know, when I went into university, I did an undergrad in psychology, and I actually wanted to be a clinician. Um, And then I took uh, abnormal psychology in second year and said, maybe that's not my calling. But I did take organizational psychology. And that's where the spark just really ignited for me. You know, that the interaction between how do people, leaders, teams work together to drive results, that was something that really felt everything come together for me. I was really lucky also at the time to have an opportunity to do some research for one of the professors there that was on unconscious bias and resume screening. And so, you know, early, I kind of saw how these things click together to drive drive results. When I graduated, you know, I had a very nonlinear journey. I worked in, you know, sales and marketing jobs. I uh, worked at a not-for-profit doing communications and community development and recruiting. I took an opportunity to, to travel, to take, you know, five months and kind of see the world, which was very informative yeah. for me in terms of, you know, building perspective and empathy and, you know, all those fun things. And then, you know, I, I started to kind of go more towards the people side, you know, that was always kind of the thread that has pulled through my career. How do you get the most out of people? So, you know, took on uh, roles in recruiting, training, building some of those programs, building leadership programs. So, you know, there's definitely a common thread, but I, I would say my career has had, had some range. And I, and I think the range has allowed me to really, uh, you know, pick on the spots where I could uh, grow and develop. I, I've never really been about a specific title. I've always been about the, the skills and competencies I wanted to use to be um, successful. That's so cool. I love, I love the not focusing on the title. I, you know, so often a lot of folks early in their career it's like, how do I get the next title? How do I now start managing a team? It's like, okay, slow down. You'll get there, right? It's, it shouldn't be yeah. about that. Like you can't, you know, you, you don't want to just lead a team because you think it's the next step in your career. Like you've got to really love people 
and want people totally. to be successful, right? So tell us a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and about, I've been a bit more um, of a I've been a bit more of a jungle gym, I would say, than a ladder, and I think that's more fun. <laughs> so I you know, I, I stick with that, right? So like the big like old school like dome kind of like you know uh, that's right yeah they're uh, a little bit dangerous i don't think they make those anymore right (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's right well i love that you haven't kind of you know it's been non-linear i've often found that you know folks who are not sort of like this straight up and narrow are much more interesting and better leaders actually because they have just very different experiences that they can draw from i'm pretty boring i've been in financial services forever and always been in customer experience so like i'm like straight up that kind of ladder. I didn't plan it that way, but nonetheless. Amanda, tell us a little bit about Kroll and you know, Resolver, which you were you know, leading some pretty cool stuff for before, um, obviously now, now part of Kroll. And you know, what do you guys do? And like, what's the team's kind of mission? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll start by speaking to Resolver. Um, so SaaS-based company uh, based out of Toronto. And, and what our platform really does is try to gather all risk data and put it into context. Mm-hmm. So businesses can make great decisions. You know, I certainly think COVID has taught us a little bit more about risk. I think, you know, risk is a, a, a topic that probably wasn't happening around the dinner table, but, you know, uh, since COVID hit, now does. And so, you know, our yeah. goal is really to try to figure out how you take risk teams from the back office and bring them to be part of, you know, how they become a driver of making great decisions. So we're really proud that our risk intelligence platform provides those solutions for companies around the globe. Since the acquisition, we're now part of a business unit within Kroll called Kroll Digital Services. And we're, we're very much an emerging business unit. And so, you know, we have three offerings that will serve, you know, our, our customer base around the risk and financial intelligence space with leading technology. So we're really kind of incubating it. We're, we're figuring that stuff out. And, you know, I'm coming in, as you said, as the chief human resource officer of Kroll Digital Services. So we're in the early phases, uh, which is kind of the mucky middle and building stuff, which I've learned in my career. I really like doing. That's awesome. That's awesome. And especially like thinking about talent and thinking about your role and how in that growth phase, sort of the mucky middle piece, like that's got to be super challenging, right? Because like there's, it's moving totally. quickly. You've got, well, one, mm-hmm. I mean, Kroll's a large global organization, so it's nice, I'm sure, to have the resources of a large global organization behind you also. But yeah, there's a lot of just like m- quick moving parts and the people piece is moving as quickly. So probably a lot to manage. That's uh, right. Think about. Yeah, we're, it's a change and a change and a change, oh. <laughs> right? Oh, man, I, I, I don't, uh, I, it takes a special person to manage that. So I'm sure you're rocking it mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. So one of the things for me, right, and we've talked a little bit about this, sort of like you had brought for Resolver, you guys brought people, culture, and customer experience together. Not a lot of companies do that, frankly. In, in fact, the organizations that do, in my experience, and I get to talk to a lot of companies in sort of the broader CX and VX landscape, they're really far ahead of the curve and from a maturity perspective. Can you tell us a little bit about the decision for Resolver to kind of bring those things together? Like, what were you guys seeing where you were like, hey, we need to bring customer and people together? And then if you can, Amanda, you know, maybe sure some of the, maybe some of the, like, the outcomes you guys achieved as a result of that business decision. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I will share that at first it was out of necessity. You know, COVID, I think, challenged a lot of companies to look at things really differently. And so that was the first kind of hurdle. But then what, what emerged was the opportunity. The opportunity to say there's this wonderful confluence between employee experience and customer experience. 
And actually, from a leadership perspective, uh, many of the capabilities are similar. You know, how do you acquire? How do you onboard? How do you retain? How do you reduce churn? You know, all of those things from a programmatic perspective are actually very similar. So I think we just capitalized on the opportunity and said, you know, let's do something with this. Um, because, you know, the adage that happy employees make happy customers is it couldn't ring more true. I think we've all been in customer service scenarios where you can tell someone just doesn't like their job, you know, and, you know, so creating a, a team of resolve rights and an employee base that felt really passionate um, about what they do. And then that cascades to their customers, you know, really helped us deliver on our motto. Part of our motto is be loved by customers. And so I think we've always seen customers aren't just the customers who pay us, it's also our employees. And so those two things coming together, I think was just a, a great opportunity for us. You know, and again, from a just pure leadership play, the skill set is similar, right? So, you know, how do you engage people in a future vision for customer experience? You know, I, I came in, um, change needed to happen. You know, we needed to kind of re reimagine what the team needed to look like. And some of that is just, you know, full on employee communications. How are you communicating with people? How are you inspiring them? to be part of the change. Uh, next, we needed to recruit a whack load of people because we were doing, you know, we were very fortunate to be doing well from a sales perspective. So we needed to grow the team by 60%, you know? So, so how do you create recruiting programs to bring on people that are going to be able to serve your customer base? Then, you, of course, you have to think about how do you design the team? You can't hire that many people and just kind of have the exact same design. And so we started to say, okay, well, we have two very specific customer segments we serve. How do you design the teams to deliver for that? And then within those customer segments, we also found there is very specific needs. So, you know, one was for very large scale enterprise delivery, which is, you know, time and material from a professional services side. And the other was fixed fee projects. And so, you know, those skill sets and competencies are going to be slightly different. So how do you design a team to, to follow suit on that? Next, of course, you can't hire a bunch of people without onboarding them. So, you know, I was, I was you know, fortunate to get buy-in from leadership that we needed someone in enablement. We needed someone that full-time was thinking about how do you onboard people to be successful with your product and how you implement it, you know, project, and then, you know, the domain in which we serve our customers. And, you know, we took the ramp for consultants and improved it by about 30%. So specifically uh, getting consultants from being utilized fully within nine months to utilize fully within you know five, five months. So huge win in terms of being able to serve the customer. But I, I truly feel you know that was, I was kind of part of that rebuild phase for the CX team. And I, I, I basically grabbed everything from my HR toolkit to be able to make those things true. Wow. The enablement piece is a really interesting one, right? I feel like so many organizations, senior down to like junior level folks say, okay, we've hired a smart person. We think we've made the right decision. They're in the door. Go to work, right? Like, mm-hmm. yep. It, like yep. that enablement piece, I think is such, particularly in the SaaS space, right? Where it's like, it's moving so quickly taking a step back and just letting the person really understand the product and the business and the persona of the individuals either they're selling to or working for, you know, ultimately, you know, that is such a critical piece. It's incredible to me that that individual putting that person in place, I'm sure there were other things around that, like 30% is a big number going from nine months to five months from a ramp perspective is a massive, massive gain. That's incredible. Yeah. 
for sure, for sure. And and you know, it's 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 being thoughtful about building a program, right? That doesn't happen overnight. And you know, you for sure need someone that's thinking about it full time. But part of you know part of that change leadership team was. Uh, that change leadership process was getting the management tier engaged in it. You know, they are part of the onboarding. You're not tossing it over to someone just because there's a resource. You know, they're a coach that's going to enable people to be really successful in front of customers. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, training is one of those things that people can think about it as, you know, it's one person or it's, you know, kind of multiple people. I've always thought it's multiple people. I've always been very diligent about, you know, how you know, training programs need to be built. Uh, a mentor always used to say to me, if training is the answer, what's the question? And I, I just love that, right? Because I think we try to solve a bunch of stuff with training, especially with onboarding, but you've got to step back and say, okay, there's a training event, there's a training, there's a series of training um, sessions you might put people through, but what makes it stick? How do you build in shadowing? How do you build in mentoring? How do you build in kind of assessing, are people doing this well and have they retained the information? And so if you're not building it programmatically, you know, it's going to be hard to get a result. And that's why so many training programs fail. You know, people attend the training event. They say, great, 90% of people attended the training event. We got 85% satisfaction. This is great. And it's like, but you didn't build anything after, right? So I, I think, you know, we were very thoughtful about that. I always use the the, the gym analogy with people, which is, you know, for learning and development programs, doing a training session is like showing up to the gym and getting your free one hour session with a personal trainer. That's not how you get fit, right? It it inspires you to get fit, but there's work that needs to be done. And it's weekly, it's, you know, checking in. And so if you're not thinking of training programs like that, it's going to be hard to see the actual outcome and result. And so we are extremely diligent about, you know, tracking towards that programmatically so we could achieve that 30% improvement. I love that. That's such a great analogy, by the way. I've never heard it explained that way. But I mean, I hope you don't mind. I may steal that. I'm sure our listeners are going to steal that. Please do. Um, But uh, that's, that's just perfectly, perfectly said. So in the transition from Resolver to Kroll, now you're the chief HR officer for, for a business unit. How did you make that transition? I mean, clearly you were doing some of that, I guess, at Resolver, but now maybe even at a different level. Like, how do you even bring in or think about, you know, the CX toolkit helping you from a broader workforce perspective now in your role as CHRO? Yeah, I mean, I think the ultimate leadership program is doing a secondment in another team. And I, I had that opportunity within Resolver right? It's like those old school hotel management programs that were actually, there is very much something to it. But if HR leaders got an opportunity to be operators and operators got opportunities to be HR leaders, I think businesses would run more effectively. So certainly sitting as an operator, you know, I I was accountable for half of resolvers in your revenue, a P&L, customer sat, making sure customers stayed. So it's a, you know, what was really interesting for me was, you know, seeing programs that the people and culture team at Resolver would be putting out and sitting as an operator, you know, that was number eight on my list of the day. And so now coming into Curl Digital and thinking about how we build programs, it's like, okay, I sat as an operator and I got that email about its performance time or you need to hire people or you need to give recruiting feedback. And guess what? The thing that's top of mind for an HR leader is not necessarily top of mind for an operator all the time. And so how do you shift that? 
And so I think, uh, you know, having that opportunity as an operator, you know, really will inform how I build programs from a CHRO perspective. And again, you know, Curl Digital is emerging. You know, we're new. We've got to build a bunch of stuff. We have technology platforms that are more mature. We have some that are, you know, still building and emerging. And so, you know, I think having that perspective and, you know, you know, having that kind of empathy in terms of how I build those programs is going to be key um, for success. Very, very cool. How does it help though on the other side? So maybe like if, I mean, if you think about, you know, you going back into an operator role, like how do you think your experience Mm -hmm. as a CHRO is going to help you be a better operator perhaps? I think it's most companies, most knowledge-based companies, you know, 60 to 80% of your operating budget is people. And so if you don't have a people-centric view uh, of the world, it's going to be difficult to achieve results. So I think having that perspective and that viewpoint, because, you know, when you think about any program you're trying to build, Mm -hmm. if you don't have the right people in seat to make Mm -hmm. it happen, it's going to be super difficult. And so I think, again, having that perspective on, you know, that is how all the programs Jenga together and that's how the result happens is pretty critical. And so I think part of, you know, part of also, you know, my role is I'm, I'm able to say to folks who are, you know, are also sitting in operator seats, like, I know what it's like. Mm-hmm. I know what it's like mm-hmm. to need to achieve a revenue goal and you don't have the right people. I know what it's mm-hmm. like to not have a team that has clarity and they, you know, the lack of clarity perhaps is creating some disengagement and some, you know, gossip or narratives that they're telling themselves. And so, you know, I just think it allows me to be a lot more of an internal advisor um, because I've sat there, I've sat there and I get it. And so I think that is, you know, part of, you know, the value that I can provide to the team. Yeah. You mentioned, Amanda, you mentioned change a couple of times earlier, mm-hmm. just, a, you know, not too long ago on the show. You're a proponent of, you know, change leadership versus change management, right? And I've heard the term change leadership before, but maybe some of our listeners have not. Can you share a little bit, what, the, what is the difference for you, right? One, and how do you think change leadership helps people come along sort of the, the journey? And how do you think that that also helps leaders bring people through the journey? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and you know, both are required to move change. And so, Change management is is really the piece that's about process and systems, right? So, you know, you, you need to have the infrastructure down to move things. Change leadership is about the people. It's about how do you inspire, empower, and enable people to be really successful and to be part of the change. So you can build this great infrastructure and this great system, but if the people in the system don't want to move it with you, then you're, you're not going to go very far. And so, you know, I think the big, the big thing and, and a lot of my, my perspective on this has come from uh, John Cotter. I mean, his, his book, Leading Change, is still, I, I re-listened to it recently and it's still a, still a winner in my mind. But, you know, he frames it as great change is rooted in results. And I love that. I, I think it's so true because you can say this is the change we need to inspire, but you need to see those wins and you need to see you know, that the change is going to happen. If we, I could take it back to the gym analogy, you know, if you're going to the gym and you'd been doing that personal training program for six weeks and you didn't see any change in your fitness, it would be really demotivating. And the psychology of change for people is the same. You know, they want to see small wins. They want to know that, you know, the vision and the inspiration is going somewhere. 
And so I've really, you know, as I've as I've helped organizations through change, I've really tried to focus on how do you get the 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 people especially the leaders engaged in the change, because they're the ones that are going to, you know, not only help with the change and, you know, make it move faster, but they're the ones that are going to make it secure. Because the reality is, is people talk. And so, you know, you, you can't assume that the thing you put in a communication, if you're not living those behaviors, is going to be the thing that people believe. They're going to believe the actions. They're going to believe the results. And so if you're not driving towards that and you don't and you haven't yet figured out the mechanism to help empower people to be part of that, you know, change is going to be slow. It's going to be hard or it's not going to stick. And so I think that's the thing that I've really focused on. And, you know, part of that is when you share the vision for what you believe the change should look like, is it believable? Is it credible? Do your, or do your managers say to you, I don't think that's going to happen. And, it, and if they say to you, I don't think it's going to happen, fine. But let's talk about why. Because maybe there's something you've missed. And if you're not engaging, you know, the, the rest of your leaders in the team to be part of the change and, and to tell you like, okay, like, you're probably right on that. But these are the other four things we need to think about. Then again, they're not going to believe the change is credible. And by the way, whether consciously or unconsciously, that will cascade to their team, Right. You know, yeah, and so yeah, you want sure. people that are part of that that change team to really believe it. And if they really believe it, they're going to be the ones that champion it and, and kind of continue running it with you. So that's kind of the distinction between leadership and management to me. Man management is the great infrastructure around processes and systems that you have to lay down. Leadership, change leadership is about how you inspire and empower people to to deliver and drive towards that change. And I guess even on that leadership point, right, Amanda, I mean, if you think about sort of like the individuals that are being impacted by that change, right, you need them to also buy in on some level. I know that part of sort of a change management process, and I'm a big follower of Cotter's as well, like you're involving mm -hmm. people through that process, you're getting them comfortable yeah. with that change, or you're enabling them, giving them resources, helping them understand the why. But even that change leadership piece needs to be sort of adopted and internalized by the individual being impacted as well, not just the leaders that are sort of leading that That's right. overall team. So critical. So critical. Yeah. Um, and so creating were, feedback sorry, mechanisms, no. sorry, for creating feedback mm -hmm. mechanisms for people to give you feedback about the change is really important. So again, I think when, you know, part of that as you go through change is if people give you feedback that is not positive about the change. There's a lot of leaders that will say, well, I don't really want to fully answer that question. Or maybe they come across defensively when someone poses a question. But if you want to model the change, you have to be open that you don't know all the answers. And if someone feels like they have a position or opinion that is not heard, what happens is they stop speaking up. And so this is, uh, you know, this is kind of where part of that background in, you know, uh, people and culture I, I, I really pulled on because you want to make sure you are creating channels to really listen and respond in a way that comes with, you know, out of a place of curiosity, not out of a place of defensiveness, because, you know, you, the worst thing you can have in a change is people who stop engaging in it and people who stop challenging. I never mind people that challenge because it means that they care. And, you know, yes, people have asked me uncomfortable questions in, in public forums, but that's okay because they're the voice of probably many people that just didn't have the courage to speak up. So now it's on the table and let's talk about it. So many, I mean, when I've, I mean, I've been in my career, I've been part of so many big change initiatives. And I feel like when there's silence, 
right? And then there's the conversation after whatever that meeting was, and like yes. well, this is never going to flip and work. And like you got yeah. to know why, right? Like be vocal, you know, just or or maybe you didn't want to say it in a big forum, but then go pull that leader aside, like get 15 minutes or 20 minutes on their calendar, help them see your perspective, right? You know, hopefully the cultures are already there and set up in a way to foster that conversation, whether it's off to the side or in in the forum, but. I'm with you. Silence is a huge killer of any positive change or any change for that matter. One of the things that, you know, we've talked about when we first met was, you know, training your professional services team on the art of empathy and, you know, empathy from general employee perspective, not necessarily just even from a leadership perspective is such a critical muscle to be able to flex, right? So you intentionally did this. So I'm curious as to why. You know, and what was happening in Resolver where you guys looked at that and said, we think that this is going to have an impact. Like, what do you think that was? Yeah. So, you know, as you said, I did definitely see the benefits on the employee side. And, you know, we um, training on empathy was part of our onboarding program at Resolver generally from an enterprise perspective. It came from the fact that when I stepped into the customer experience role, you know, I had implemented four technologies at Resolver or uh, as a customer. So, you know, uh, incoming HR tech. And so I'd sat in that seat as a customer and I thought it was really important to share with our services team what that experience and what that journey was like for me. Because any given professional services organization, you might be one of, you know, 10 customers or the services team is working with at the time. It's all you do all day and you get good at it. Whereas when you're sitting in the customer seat, it's one of 20 things that you're doing probably off the side of your desk. Thank goodness you got budget to implement, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have time. You're not an expert in the technology. When you see someone demoing and training for you, they whiz through it. They're using acronyms and terms. You have no idea (laughs) what they are. And so, you know, I kind of challenge people to just say, you know, a great, a great journey is a journey for a customer where they feel you're walking beside them. You're not, you know, enforcing a change on them. You're walking beside them in that journey. And so, you know, I think it was really important for me to share that. You know, we certainly adopted the the mentality that Amazon made very famous, which was the empty chair. You know, every meeting early Amazon would have an empty chair and they would say, what would the customer think? And I noticed when I came into CX, there was a lot of programs that had been built for us to make our lives easier, but not necessarily the customer's life easier. So are we doing something to the customer or for the customer? And so I think, you know, just challenging that mentality to say, hey, it may be great that we've done this and we're now more efficient and we're faster, but does the customer like that? And it was a very small shift uh, in perspective, that was, to be honest, super annoying to the management team when I came in, because almost every meeting I would ask, but what would the customer want and what would they say? So they decided that I was, you know, had adopted a little bit of this toddler approach to asking why, but it started to engage people in the conversation, you know, yeah, you're right. Why do we do this? And so I think it just, you know, it challenged people in every interaction and everything we build to sit in that empty chair and be the customer that has, you know, multiple things going on in their life, budget strapped, time strapped, but really wants to be part of this positive change in an organization through technology. 
you know, I, I was pretty big with people sharing with them that, you know, we're not just implementing a technology. We are implementing a change that is then enabled by technology. The change is coming with a change in that company's process, a change in that customer's team behaviors, change in how they want to see insights and data. And so technology is under that, but it's a bigger change. And anytime I was on an escalation, it was truly because there is something that was probably going to make that customer look bad to their boss because no one wants to implement a technology and look bad in front of their yeah. boss. And so, yeah, you know, I think sure. it was also just imagine what would it feel like to finally get budget to, you know, advocate for this new technology and it didn't work how they thought it was going to work. Imagine that was you. And so, again, it was just really building that empathy and perspective for people to acknowledge and understand that that is, that is the, the value of what we provide is being alongside with our customers. And so, you know, it's a shift. It's a shift in, in philosophy with the team. And I think it comes with, you know, constant uh, feedback. It comes with constant challenge. But I feel like we've really uh, landed in a great spot. And we see that with, you know, that shows up in our, our customer satisfaction scores. And so, you know, I think it, it does, awesome. it does pay off when it comes to that. Awesome. Love that you guys did that. All right. I've got a, I've, I ask every guest of mine, Amanda, uh, to ask me a question of my next guest. And <laughs> the question for you, and I, I, it's incredible. I've been doing this for a year now because I did start at the top of the year, but, uh, the question for you is if you had the proverbial kind of magic wand, right? Enough time, money, resources, to switch careers, and now you've done this already, right? So I'm now I'm curious, <laughs> what passion would you follow? Yeah, this is a tough one because I so love what I do. I think I found that <laughs> trivecta of something I, I love, I'm good at, you know, I'm rewarded for. But, you know, when I was in grade six, I really wanted to be an interior designer. It uses okay. a different part of your brain. It kind of uh, integrates how, you know, people move in space. So. Yeah. If I were to just say, do something, you know, have a third career in my journey, I might do something totally different, but still actually involves how do you engage people? How do people move through change? And how can you be empathetic towards their result? I don't think that'll go away. That'll be with me forever. <laughs> I can admit, Well, yeah. I mean, once you've been doing it for a while and you love what you do, you kind of can't ever get away from it, right? All right. I'm going to turn the tables to you. What question do you have for my next guest? Well, I come from a pretty strong bias with this, but if you could build or improve any technology to make your life easier, what would you build? Great question. I love that question. I love that question. All right. I'm excited. I'll let you know uh, when I ask it and who's the responder. So I'll send you the response. All right, I've got one more question for you. I know you've got a, a busy day ahead of you. Uh, before we wrap up, where do you go for, for inspiration? What fills up your tires, Amanda? fills up my tires in terms of inspiration. I think it's, I look at kind of every day, right? The everyday pieces of inspiration. I think I'm pretty open to stuff like that. And I think inspiration um, is how you look at it. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm inspired when I go for a walk and I see th cool things in nature. I'm inspired when I read a fiction book and I uh, hear a great story. So my life is focused on everyday inspiration versus you know, heroic feats. So I look for it everywhere, which means I find it everywhere. So my tires are pretty full. Uh, frequently, I am an optimist by design. And I think that's part of it. I think you can find inspiration 
anywhere you look for it. And I do that daily. Very cool. Amanda, thanks so much for the gift of your time. It's been a wonderful conversation. A lot of learning from me. I'm going to steal probably 90% of what we've talked about today in some ways. <laughs> Good. I love like the gym analogy and other things that you kind of brought up. Just such just brilliant stuff. But uh, really, truly, thank you for coming on. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. It was really great being here. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. Another great show. Amanda Ono, we're out. We'll talk to you next week, everyone. Talk to you soon, Thanks everyone. for listening to Be Customer Led with Bill Stakos. We are grateful to our audience for the gift of their time. Be sure to visit us at BeCustomerLed.com for more episodes. Leave us feedback on how we're doing or tell us what you want to hear more about. Until next time, we're out. We'll be right back.